So today we've got James Crystal, recommended to me by my dad actually. He saw James in the news, he's been doing some podcasts and he's out in the schools. So it is a hard-hitting story involving incarceration and crime. But even today, James has been at a school this morning. He's speaking to the government. He's out there trying to make positive changes in the world. And now we're going to get go on a journey with him and see mm. what he's what he's been through. Let's go back to the start then. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so where were you born? I was born down in Hertfordshire. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's where I grew up. Um, to be honest, I had a, I had a good upbringing. Um, I had amazing parents. I still have amazing parents. You know, I love me. Um, I think for me growing up, I always felt very misunderstood. I never quite felt like I fit in, um, with people. When did you first notice that? I was, I was pretty young. I was pretty young. Yeah. It was just, I always had a sense of adventure about me that I feel like a lot of other people didn't have. And I feel like, <laughs> you know, especially like people who, you know, who, who are supposed to be like looking after me and, you know, teachers and stuff. We just didn't see eye to eye with that, you know, and I feel like to some degree, it, to some degree, they should have tried harder to try and understand me, you know. Um, but I, I think it, you know, for me, it was just getting in a lot of trouble, you know, throughout school. Um, and obviously no one enjoys getting in trouble, especially when you don't feel like you've necessarily done anything wrong. What sort of things were you doing? Do you, uh, do you know, the, my sister, t- <laughs> my sister told me a funny story the other day. And this is, I think this is when I was in nursery, right? So this, I wouldn't cl- class this as being naughty, right? Basically, you know, in like nursery, you've got like, uh, like everyone's lunch boxes and they like put them in like post box sort of situation. And apparently I went and like just muddled them all up, just <laughs> twisted them, you know, just, just to kind of just have a little bit of fun. And apparently the teachers like went skits, like apparently they really weren't happy about it. So it was things like that where for me, it's like, oh, this will be a laugh, like just switch them around. You know, and so that was an example from obviously when I'm like three or four in nursery. And then I think just throughout, I feel like when I was told, you know, that not to press a button or whatever, I'd be like, well, what? I want to press it. No, I want to press it. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what's it going to do if I press it? Like the other day, I walked out of TK Maxx with some glasses, you know, the bought like three glasses uh, in a pack. She was like, bought them and the lady said look just don't twist them like turn like twist turn them over because they'll fall out so i'm walking back to the car and i'm just like twisting them do you know what i mean just to, <laughs> just to see if they will fall out or not because like, you need to make mistakes for yourself in life you so know? you definitely had a bit of a rebellious streak yeah just a little bit of a rebellious streak just i just think i just wanted to have fun and explore and be adventurous you know did you click up with some fellow rebels at a young age or were you a lone wolf I feel like I was quite alone, to be honest. Was yeah, I feel well to start. I mean, talking like really young. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel I just felt like I said that I didn't feel like anyone un- quite understood me. Like not just like teachers and you know people that were supposed to be like in authority, but you know maybe like my friends as well. I just felt different from them. Um, you know, and so it wasn't until. Uh, you know, I was 15 and, um, I was diagnosed with ADHD and that was when I realized, 
you know, actually, yeah, maybe I am slightly like different. And this is the reason, like there's actually, you know, a reason for the way that I feel like, you know, the way I feel and the reason that maybe I behave in a certain way or I do certain things. Now I actually understand, you know, why. And so I think that was a, you know, a big, a good revelation for me. Um, yeah, it was helpful. So that was a relief. Yeah, for sure. Well, it yeah. must have been lonely before that, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Did you have any siblings? Yeah, two siblings. Yeah, two yeah. Old, elder sisters. Yeah, amazing sisters. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, but I mean, just it, it, yeah, they're they're incredible. But yeah, again, just like like my parents are like fantastic. Like they're brilliant, and they just love me so much. But um, you know, and they raised us all exactly the same. And maybe the way that they the way that they raised me, maybe in hindsight needed to be slightly different from the way that my sisters you know were 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 raised because because we're different people does that make sense mm. um you know my parent my parents are you know fantastic and my sisters they've always just stood by me and loved me even when you know I was you know messing everything up in my life being a little shit yeah <laughs> what about having a career goal then as a teenager did you have a plan I feel like I was kind of like quite inspired by like people who are making money um you know i say in school i was always like that kid that was like buying like big packs of sweets you know and breaking them down and selling them you know i got a fake id as soon as i get a fake id i got a fake id and i was like buying big packs of cigarettes and you know selling them 50p each and so i've always been quite <laughs> entrepreneurial <laughs> yeah um, you know, and then just like charging people like a pound to get them a bottle of drink or, you know, a, a packet of cigarettes. And then I realized that I could just steal the sweets rather than buying them. And then I'd just be like sweeping the shelf off into my rucksack and then <laughs> selling them on. It was just little things like that. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, in terms of a career goal, I feel like maybe I've just always been quite entrepreneurial. Um, and I never, never necessarily had any, any aspirations. I don't think in terms of a career. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what led to your first brush with the law? Mm. Um, I think it was shoplifting my first ever one, to be honest. Yeah. I think it had just like gone and just, cause it was so easy, like back then to just like, like I said, like you could literally just sweep a whole shelf into your rucksack, like literally. And, uh, and then for my age, and I'd be able to go and sell all that, you know, make a hundred quid. And I thought, Felt like a baller, do you know what I mean? Like, 100 quid's a lot of money when you're that age. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was probably like my first ever, um, yeah, that was my first encounter. How did you get caught? Huh? How did you get caught? I can't even remember. I think my, I think my friend actually got caught mm. and then they caught me at the same time. Yeah. Did they grass? Nah, but it was just, I can't exactly remember, but I think my friend got caught and then I think just because I was with him, um, I ended up getting done as well and they searched me. Did they take you to the station? Yeah. 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 What Talks about when your mum and dad got informed? How did that feel? Yeah, I, yeah, it was kind of scary. <laughs> I just did everything that I could to try and avoid, um, my mum and dad finding out about stuff. But when you're at that age, you have to have a, like a, what do they call it? A responsible adult, is it? Pick you up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think for me, I probably just didn't want to like let my parents down, you know. Um, what was it like when they showed up? Um, it's probably just quite a lot of shame, even though they probably wouldn't have wanted me to feel that way. Just a lot of shame. Um, so did, and, did you get chucked in the cells? Yeah, I did actually, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 
What was that like? Well, the first time? I yeah. can't really remember, to be honest. Honestly, it was so long ago. I, in terms of the police cells, I feel like you know it, there's an expiration date on it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if, you're, living, if you're living that lifestyle, you know that you're going to be in there for 24 hours or, you know, maybe they might apply for an extra 12 hours or you might get bailed. But when it's something like, you know, shoplifting or like possession with a small amount of drugs, you know, you're probably going to be out within 24 hours. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's transient, isn't it? It's not a permanent fixture. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really, really remember. I do, I, I do think I was pretty scared. I mean, especially when like they'd start like searching you and you know, you've got something, something mm. on you. Um, but yeah, I mean, we used to have quite a lot of fun, fun with the, with the police as well, you know, like running and hiding and it just, it, I, I feel like because I was quite young, it just felt like a game, doesn't it? It feels like a, you know, and, and to some degree, it's not, it's not massively serious, you know, it, it, it might be a bit fun. And then you start getting older and, you know, you've got more responsibility and it starts to get, you know, the punishment starts to get more severe, right? Did you promise your parents you wouldn't do that again? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. think. Isn't it? I, <laughs> Usually do. I, yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember to be honest. Yeah. Can you remember your second arrest? Um, I think it was possession of drugs. Weed. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. How did you get caught? Um. Gosh. It was. I think we were just like down the town park smoking weed. Um, and then just like ran, um, like a long way. Just ran, got chased, and then police caught us. Did they have dogs? No, there was no, no. dogs. No, no, no. So these like arrests at these young ages, are they just giving you a warning, the cops? Yeah, just like reprimands and like final warnings and stuff. Like Cautions. That. Yeah. yeah. Did your parents have to get involved in that one? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you were fifteen at this point. Um, sixteen now. Sixteen. Wow. Yeah. So I'd been kicked out of school at this point. Um, For what? I came in stoned. What? Yeah, I came in. I was high. And what the teacher noticed? Yeah. Well, I went out on my lunch break because yeah. you're not allowed to like necessarily leave on the lunch. So I went out on the lunch and I came back in and I was just like baked. I hadn't really smoked much weed at this stage. And the the, 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 the mate that I smoked it with like rolled a, like a big spliff and I smoked it and I was really like baked <laughs> and then just came back in um and then the way the way it was like where I had to come back in I had to go like behind where my form tutor my form like class was form room and then my form tutor saw me and uh yeah and, and just like opened the fire escape and she was like James um and I was just so high I was really like too high um, and then she took, they just, they actually got someone to escort me to the, uh, like the head, not, not the headmaster, but the head of like sick form, I think it was, even though I wasn't in sick form. Um, and, uh, apparently someone had to like carry me up the stairs. So, yeah. And then, and then they just kicked me out straight away. Wow. Mm. Did you plan to get to college after that? Did I plan to? I, I don't know if I'd necessarily made too many plans. Um, yeah, I don't remember having like plans at that stage. How were you? Didn't, in... it, Sorry, go. On. I was just going to say, like, it didn't. I don't think the answer is kicking people out of school, you know, necessarily, or kicking people out of class, you know. And I think to some degree that's the easy, the easy option, mm. you know, for a teacher to do if someone's disrupting the class or, uh, you know, they don't know how to deal with them. 
you know, deal with their emotions. Often it's just easier to just kick them out, get rid of them. I don't think that's the right thing to be doing, you know, because ultimately what happened is when you push, when you, when you push someone out of that, you know, safe, safe environment, you're pushing them out into the world. And there's a lot of people in the world that will, you know, will use, will, will take advantage, you know, of that person, you know, and at that age, you're easily influenced, extremely easily. I was so easily influenced, you know, and, and then I started hanging around with people that, you know, I probably shouldn't have been hanging around with. How were you introduced to weed? I think it was just a transition from like starting like smoking cigarettes. Um, I think it's the same probably with most people, to be honest. Like it was just like cigarettes and then smoking like, and then like drinking. And then, you know, it, the, 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 the leap from like nothing to a spliff is not as big as the leap from just like a fag to a, a spliff, right? Right. And so I feel like someone just offered it to me. And like I said, I never 100% understood the emotions that I was feeling. I never 100% felt like I fit in, you know, to the people around me, you know, into my surroundings. I felt different to other people. And so, you know, when someone, you know, when I was offered, when I was offered that and I tried it, I was able to escape. I was able, able to escape, you know, um, how I felt and, yeah. and, you know, I guess it gave me to some degree some peace, um, you know, from the difficult emotions that I was feeling before. Uh, so yeah, so someone, someone had offered it to me and I think, yeah, I think it just kind of calmed me down quite a lot. Um, yeah. So getting kicked out of school, what did you go on to next? So after that, it was, uh, I started like um, selling weed um, to kind of you know feed my habits and you know finance my lifestyle. Um, and then, do you remember the methadone for like, the MCAT? Yes, remember that? yeah, they used to sell it in sex shops, didn't they? Did they? Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> that's such a random How do you know? Yeah. <laughs> I said nothing. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, it was illegal. Yeah, it was illegal. High. Yeah. 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 They used to call it like plant food. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. That's how they got away with yeah. it. It's yeah, ridiculous. like plant fertilizer. And stuff. <laughs> so I had a friend who was, um, a friend's brother who was, uh, studied chemistry at Cambridge. And then he basically did, like designed the, the formula, or well, not the, but a formula for methadone. So he um, was cooking it up. So he was, yes, yeah, so, but he, he, he made, um, he set up like a lab, like a, more like a factory, to be honest. Cause it's legal, right? So, and he had, uh, you could go to Cambridge, you could ring this 0800 free number off a payphone and someone would just come and deliver it on a bike. Just like this, just exactly the same as you get Uber Eats now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was cheap. And because I, you know, I had the, I, I kind of, I knew him through my friend. I was getting it just super cheap. Um, like a pound a gram. What? Selling it on for 20 pound a gram. Um, you know, point seven or whatever, and um, and yeah, so I obviously started like selling that and making you know some you know money, which is you know a decent amount of money for my age. Um, but then I was using it as well. They so say you shouldn't it, use it. You know, mm. you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't use um your supply. And yeah, I think I've always had a very addictive personality. 
I think maybe I still have to some degree, but I've just channeled it differently now. Um, you know, and then it was just kind of raving and, you know, lots of parties and, um, and that was, that was just the lifestyle that I was living at that time in time of my life. And how old were you at this point? So at this point, I'm like, yeah, 16, 17 still. Yeah. Um, and then things started to go downhill. Um, so I, some of the people that I was hanging around with, there was some, some older, older guys as well. Um, and then there was one guy who was like 40. Must be old. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Mm. But it didn't seem weird for some reason, right? Because I feel like when you're under the influence of drugs, your perspective on life is just so, uh, just so like augmented, you know? You're the, and basically what ended up happening was, um, I was groomed and drugged and, and sexually abused by him. Um, oh what and, happened? and so that happened on multiple occasions. Are we able to talk about it? Well, I'd, I mean, I won't go into huge detail because I don't feel like I need to. Um, but the first time, uh, we, we'd been in London, um, and basically we drove, we were driving back. He was driving. Um, and I, I just, I'd passed out. I'd been drugged. Um, I mean, I was taking like drinking and using already, but I'd taken something, you know, I'd been drugged and, you know, um, and so I was just completely out of it and then woke up on the side of the road, had been dumped in uh, at a service station with my, and my, my girlfriend at the time was in the car as well. So I woke up, she's next to me. She's like going just crazy, like, you know, saying what had happened, telling me what had happened. Um, and that was the, that was the first, you know, um, the time that something had happened, like where he'd sexually abused me, but you know, I didn't want to believe it. I mean, so was, she was unaware. Of she what was in the back. No, she witnessed it all. He was threatening her. She witnessed it in the back it? of the car. Holy yeah, shit. yeah. And but the the reason I don't, I have to, it's, I have to be. Ca- the the guy was, um, you know, he was he was a gangster at the end, you know, at the end of the day, and he's he's someone you know who has a lot of power. You know, and so, um, you know, I, I, I try not to go too much into specifics, um, you know, but that, that was where my, my life started to really go downhill, you know, for me. Um, we've got, um, a legal requirement. So because of the nature of what you just said, the police now are, are making me ask the guests the following. Do you waive your anonymity on what you've just said? Which just means you've just told us that happened and you, you're okay with that. I'm, um, yeah, I'm cool to tell you. Okay. So you waive your anonymity. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Is that your legal requirement? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so from there, like basically I pressed the self destruct button inside because, mm. you know, I feel like in that moment, I, even though I didn't want to admit that it had actually happened. I knew deep down what it had happened and I lost my confidence. You know, I lost my self-esteem. I lost my manhood, you know, my dignity, you know, my self-respect, all of it, all of these, you know, super important things that you need, especially as a young, you know, a young anyone, you know, as a young man, I lost all of that. Um, you know, I didn't know where, didn't really know where to turn to. But the worst thing I think was that I didn't want to accept or admit that it had happened. Um, and 
and yeah, I think that was really hard, not not knowing who to talk to or not, you know, not wanting to talk about it, you know. And so any, anyway, it actually happened on um, like multiple occasions. Um, and obviously, I feel like subconsciously, I probably didn't want to accept that it happened. But obviously, after a couple of times, you, you know, I, I knew and I had to come to terms with, with what had happened. Um and and yeah, that, I think for me that was where my life started to really go down downhill. Did that push you further into drugs? So, exactly. Because you got all this chaos in your head. I just needed to escape because it was like painful, like it was, you know, deeply traumatic. Um, you know, and it was just like disgusting. You know, like I, I could like feel his hand, like hands on me, and like I had. I had to get away somehow, like mentally and emotionally, you know, from what had happened. And so I just uh, turned even heavier uh, to drugs. Um, you know, and I feel like my life started to get more erratic around that point. I actually like, lost a friend um, around the same time as well to um, to drugs, to, to the methadone. He had like a brain hemorrhage and, and died. What? Um, were you there when that happened that was bef- so that was actually before the, the, the abuse but all of this had, had happened around the same time I wasn't like there but I'd got a phone call um, and yeah and it's, Ali's dead and you know I had another friend actually and this, this was about probably about a year before the abuse who you know and I talk, I talk when I when I talk at schools especially obviously if it's drug prevention which is so important I will go into quite a lot of detail about you know, it, it's raw, it's very real. And I'll talk about the, you know, the people I know who have died because of drugs. Um, and because I want them to understand the reality. Um, and so, yeah, I had another friend, um, he was like 14 when he died. Yeah. And he, he, he went missing on, um, on Christmas Eve. He went, walked home, never got home. And then a search party went out and they found him. You know, the next morning in in a river, face down, dead, and and this is the reality of of you know of, of drugs and what they can do to people. You know, what do you think yeah. had happened with him? Had he just got so many drugs he'd lost his way, or I think his body couldn't probably couldn't cope with with whatever he'd taken. They said that in the re- newspaper reports, they'd said that he'd just been drinking. That's what his friends had said. You know, I know that he, I know that he'd done more than that, um, in the days before, at least. Um, you know, even ketamine came into play as well. Mm. And so I think, I think ultimately his body couldn't, couldn't cope with it. You, you just, you, I think one of the problems with like drug addiction is that you don't know that you have it until you know you have it. Does that make sense? Like, that's one of the big problems. Like, you don't know you have it until you try something and it's not worth taking that risk. And I feel like for Jordan, um, you know, his body just couldn't, couldn't take whatever had happened. I don't know exactly. Maybe he slipped on the ice and hit his head and fell into the river. I just don't know. Um, but that was, so basically what I'm saying is there was all of this stuff had happened, you know, all of this fairly traumatic, um, these traumatic events had happened all in quite a short space of time. And then, you know, the, I think with the abuse, it just kind of tipped me over the edge. Did your girlfriend, did she know the abuse had continued after that first time? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, 
Well, she, I, no, I don't know. She, I think the second time she knew about it. Um, and then I, and then there was, a, I think three more occasions. Um, and I didn't, I didn't feel like I could tell anyone about it. Cause you said you were groomed. What mm. sort of things was he doing? Well, he, I mean, groomed in the sense that, you know, he would, um, entice you, like, feed you loads of drugs. Yeah. Well, but like, best way of like describing it, but like, he had like nice cars. Right. He had money and, you know, he was quite affluent. Right. And so I feel like for young people and he was prolific, but it wasn't just me. I feel like that in that sense, he kind of groomed people, groomed young lads in by his lifestyle, you know, and then would get them on their own. And, you know, the rest is history. Has he faced the consequences of that, this person? So for me, this is, and this is, well, when we discussed what we discussed it, you know, before we started, like, um, so for me, he, he like threatened me and my family. He put a brick, uh, through my parents, um, house. Um, how did know, he justify that? Well, he didn't want me to say anything, did he? So he just put a brick through, through your yeah. parents' window. So what was this about 10 years ago, was it? Yeah, yeah, probably longer than, yeah, a bit longer, yeah. yeah. But he just didn't want me to, you know, he wanted to instill fear. He, he wanted to instill fear in me, and he did. You know, he he scared me to the to you know to the point of silence to some degree. And I didn't tell anyone really about it. Excuse me. The you know, my mom and dad only found out um, a little bit a little bit further down the down the road when when my my life had completely fallen apart. Our drugs had completely taken hold of me, and my mom and dad just so confused. Like they'd moved away um, at this point. They'd moved a bit further up north, and they just like rang my girlfriend and they're just like, "What? What is going on? Like, what? And we need to know what's going on." And she said, "Look, I'm gonna. I'll tell you. Come down and I'll tell you." So yeah, they drove down and she she basically told them. Um, and I was there. You know, she told them. She you know, and she told me you know, they need to know. Um, and and yeah, like she told them what happened. Because who were you living with at this point? I was just living on my own. Living on my own. Yeah. yeah. So how did it stop then with that person? How did he, why did oh, he it He went stop? to jail. He went to jail. He went to jail for something else. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think he beat his neighbour up or something. Okay. Yeah. And then that was literally how it stopped. Yeah. Because yeah. So he actually kidnapped me at one point. What? He kidnapped me at one point. How? Came from? My, from my girlfriend's house. He, he came and he kidnapped me, put me in the back of his car. Um, and, and basically had him and him and his, I think it was his nephew could hear they, what they were talking about, you know, um, what, what they wanted to do to me. And then we got probably about 10 minutes up the road and I heard like the, the car like slammed, slammed to, uh, like slammed, um, to, came to a stop and I heard like screeching of tires in front of the car and, uh, my girlfriend's dad had, had had driven followed them up yeah what? followed them up the road to like some service stations where they'd been pulling in and like just in front of the car oh my god and start and then god started threatening him told him to let me out thank god for that yeah, yeah. christ so was there a confrontation at that point he got me put like he let me out of the car and then just drove off did he give you a lift home well, my the girlfriend's dad did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say. What, <laughs> yeah. what kind of a sentence did this person get then? 
Well, from, he didn't get anything to do with me. I know, but what sense did he get? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it was too long that one, to be honest. So all this going on, were you getting in trouble with the law at this point? Yeah, it was, well, I was still, you know, so what happened with me after the abuse, um, you know, my, like I said, my drug taking got, you know, more severe and someone, someone offered me some, uh, this is like brown powder, right? I said, try some, try some of this. I'll sort you out. And, um, put it on like some, um, like tin foil, right? So, okay. She said, like, show me how to do it and everything. Um, and I did it. And, uh, like, one of the biggest mistakes I've made, you know, because it sorted, sorted the pain out. You know, it's, it, like, worked. Um, Just and then the I later found yeah, out, yeah, they found out that it was, it was heroin. Yeah. So you didn't know it was heroin when you I were didn't know it was no. when I first took it that first time. Wow. And um you know, from then I just I got I, that was it, there was no turning back. Like it's I obviously wouldn't recommend anyone do it, mm-hmm. but for me where I was craving that release and I was craving the the numbing of the the pain that I was experiencing, the emotional pain, it worked, you know. Self medication. And 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 ultimately it was a self medicating that is that my problem was drugs you know my problem was always not wanting to be me drugs and alcohol followed mm. does that make sense and so you know it was all self medication it was all self medicating and so yeah when you know they give me some some of the some of the you know the smack um after that I was I was just hooked um and then my crime started to get more erratic um you know, and I, I don't, I never, don't tend to like talk in like too much detail, um, to be honest, but like I got done for, um, got a conspiracy to supply like cannabis. I mean, they're not pretty minor charges, to be honest, but they were like five, uh, five counts. Um, and then so this is when I'm uh, 18. And then they, uh, I went up, I went and pled guilty to that. Um, they like took my phones from me. Um, which is like basically just taking away my revenue. Um, and I went guilty to that. I got like a two year suspended sentence or something for that. How did you get caught? Oh, <laughs> it was a bit of a madness. Um, do you remember when the Tottenham riots were happening? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so it was, I'd basically been in, in arrested for, um, it was, there was some rioting that had, had happened. Um, uh, and basically got arrested for that and that they took my phones uh, from me. Um, it was actually a craziness. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so they took my, took my phones and uh, they went through them. Um, and there was lots of like messages on there. And cause I don't know, like I, you, 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 when every time you reload, I'd just like send a message to the whole phone list. Mm. And, and like, they just didn't, clearly didn't have any brain cells in my head because the majority of the, like, it would just be like, all right, you got anything? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, meet you here. And it'd all be via text. All of it. Right. Everything. <laughs> and so they got all that. Um, but they never found any food. They never found any, any, like, any drugs. Um, and so they just had me on quite, like, you know, those different, like, counts, conspiracy to supply. And that was it. So, so that was two years suspended, you say? They give me like, two, I think it was a two years suspended sentence, yeah, suspended for like 18 months or something. 
So did that make you change your ways or did you just go back to it? <clears throat> well, the thing is, I think when, once the problem with addiction is that you can't, you, it's, uh, you know, it's a beast, isn't it? It's, uh, mm. and especially with things like opiates, you know, and cocaine, uh, I, I couldn't get out of the, the grip, you know, addiction's grip. And, and obviously I went from a stage of having money to be able to feed my habits and finance, you know, my lifestyle to having, you know, to essentially having it all taken away from me, but still having the habits, you know, and so, you know, my, my, my heroin addiction had got, got gotten worse um and then i started like stealing like bags and like just dip people things off people um like cash from the cash points you know and stuff like that and so it just things just got more erratic does that make sense um and then they, that was when they arrested me for for that for the for, for robbery um and and that's the, i think yeah with, with drugs like you know opiates it's it, you can't function without it like you you it changes your, your your chemical makeup is completely changed and like i couldn't get out of bed without it you know i couldn't go to sleep without it i couldn't eat without it it, it was you know it was it was horrible so, um and so they ended up arresting me for for, for that are we able to talk about the robbery um i don't tend to to be no, honest no, no. no okay but then they put me away for, yeah, I went, that was when I got put away. All right. So getting put away then first day going in, what was that like? Yeah, that was shock. That's what I see. So like when you asked me about the police cell and I was like, well, it was all just fun and games. Do you know what I mean? And then, you know, throughout my life, you know, I'd been warned about, you know, you know, if you don't, if you don't change your ways, you're going to end up in prison or you're going to end up dead by the time you're 21. That's what I used to get told by my yacht worker as well. Like that's, I remember my yacht worker actually telling me that. And it's like, well, I don't think we should be telling kids that. I don't think we should be telling anyone. I think we should be saying, actually, you've got huge potential. Like there's something, you know, you've got these gifts and these talents and these skills. And actually what you're doing, the decisions you're making are actually, uh, you know, altering your, you know, life course. And actually we should be saying to kids, actually, you've got huge potential and you could go and do great things, you know, but there's these things that may be getting in the way rather than saying, if you don't stop, you're going to end up in jail. You're going to end up dead because that doesn't deter people. You know, we should, we need to be championing people, lifting people up. And so I'd always been told, you know, you're going to end up in jail. And so, so I just thought, oh, cool. I'm going to end up in jail. There's no point in me changing. And if I'm going to end up in jail anyway, like you basically prophesying over me that I'm going to end up in jail. Um, and so when I landed, it was like, yeah, it was a shock to the system. I mean, I, I was like, I went in a complete addict, you know, I was skinny and I was like noodly and small and weak and vulnerable. And I hadn't had a day sober since the abuse. Since the first time I was abused, I hadn't had a day sober. You know, a few hours here and there whilst I was maybe waiting to get more money or waiting to reload. But that was the first time. So I basically sobered up uh, and essentially like woke up in a prison cell sober. Which what prison was it? Bedford. Bedford. Yeah. So it was like, it's one of the oldest nicks in the jail, in the, in the country. You know, super like old Victorian. You know, you've got cockroaches, you know, you've got rats, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's cold, like, and so when you're going cold turkey, you know, you don't, I was in there with like this, when I landed, 
this like big, big black geezer who was like just smoking weed and obviously had, you know, he, he, he was actually, because I was a YOI still at this stage. So he was probably the same age, same sort of age as me, but. I was just like, where have I, like, where, where have I landed? There's people like shouting out the windows and banging on their doors. And then the milk, like the milk, I remember just like busting the milk open and just throwing up everywhere. Like the oh. UHT milk, disgusting, filthy. Um, so yeah, it was. And then I think, you know, like I said, one of the reasons that I didn't want to use one of the reasons I used drugs and I used, uh, you know, different methods of escapism, escape, escapism was because I didn't want to have to think about what had happened, right? And so when I sobered up, I suddenly had all of these memories that I'd compartmentalized, you know, coming back to haunt me. Um, and I had to suddenly face up to a lot of mistakes that I'd made, you know, people that I'd hurt, um, you know, letting my family down. And so, there was a lot of shame, you know, a lot of guilt. Um, Did they know you were going to get sent down, your parents? Well, they, I mean, I got reminded straight away. So it was, I, no one, they said, no one knew. Uh, no. Um, but I think it was the best thing that happened, one of the best things that ever happened to me. Did you have to put a call into them and tell them then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take us through that. Yeah. Oh, mate, I can't remember. Honestly, can't remember. But there's, mm. like I say, there's, there's that window that, part of my life where I was just under the influence the whole time. Because you know, where were you spe- remanded? Bedford. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's Bedford. Yeah, it was yeah. Bedford, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. so... It's like there was a cloud in your head coming down off all this stuff and it's... It, it's, yeah. it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's, you know, I think what goes up always has to come back down and it just didn't come back down in the way I was expecting. You know, I think I always thought that at some point I might be able to get myself sober and sort my life out. Um, even though it seemed impossible, I thought that was probably the, the, the answer. Uh, you know, I never expected in a million years, even though it, despite the lifestyle I was living, I never expected it to be, you know, winding up in jail, mm. looking at maybe a few years, you know, behind the door. I so had, I had yeah. a cellmate who was going cold turkey and, um, what was that like? He'd, yeah, be, he'd, he'd been on heroin, coke and injecting heroin, coke and crystal meth. And um, he shat his boxer shorts. Oh, wow. Left them in somewhere in the, I don't know, in the shower or something. People were complaining. His hair was falling out and he was sleeping okay. with his eyes open. Oh, creepy. And he was just going out of his mind. And he had like abscesses all up and down his arms, like emu egg size abscesses up and yeah. down his arms. So my, my question is then, you're cold, going cold turkey, right, in the... But you, you, are you going to try and score first? Are you going to try and like you fa- sort yourself out? I never tried to score. You never. That was the never, shock you needed, was it? I never tried to score in in prison. Because you said your cellmate was smoking weed. Did you not fancy a puff of his? Yeah, I think I smoked a bit of weed and stuff. Yeah, but I was, when you say Scott, yeah, so I never tried to like get any like class A's or anything like that. What made you make that decision then? If if you were so addicted, because most well, people most up, people continue down that road, don't when they? When I got locked up, I didn't have any money. Mm. I didn't probably didn't have any way of I, well I didn't have any way of like getting anything anyway so maybe that was the reason why initially um and I wasn't wise to 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 prison because I'd never been in there so I didn't know how to like trade in there I didn't know how to make money um and so that was probably why I didn't initially and then obviously I got sober 
Um, and yeah, and I think, you know, as I sobered up and as all the drugs got out of my system, uh, I guess it was, I just didn't want to go back. You know, I didn't want to. So were you done at that point with the hard drugs? Um, yeah, just, well, not a hundred percent, not a hundred percent. What was it like cold turkey? How long did that go on for? Honestly, probably one of the worst experiences of my life. Uh, it was, um, and I didn't, they offered me like methadone and, and Subutex and I declined it all. I mean, I wasn't injecting. So people that are injecting would, would get some like methadone. Uh, and I, and I, I probably should have had something, some Subutex or whatever. Cause I, you know, I had like a 40, 50, 60 pound at least like daily habit. That was what I needed to get through the day. And then anything else might actually get me high. Um, and so I need, needed something, but I just refused it. And I think that was actually, I feel, I believe that that was like God, like, you know, uh, influencing my decision. Cause if I had said yes, I would have spent the rest of my, maybe the rest of my life, but at least the rest mm -hmm. of my sentence on, you know, sub, some sort of opiate, some sort of replacement, you know, and, and the pharmaceutical industry don't make these drugs for people to come off of them. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's replacing one drug with the other drug. And so, yeah, so I think that was, you know, I'm proud of that decision I made because I would have had to go cold turkey at some point. Just do it. Why not just do it at the beginning? So did you have the shakes? It was horrible. Struggling to sleep. Couldn't sleep. I was like tossing and turning. The, the geezer um, in below me was just getting so pissed off. Oh. We didn't he, we didn't scrap or anything, but I, he, he was just getting so pissed off. And I had, obviously when you go in, they give you like a pouch of backy. Um, and so I was just like smoking non-stop. It was like the only thing I had. I'd be like smoking like all through the night and he'd just, I remember one time just got up and started going sick like crazy because of like the smell of the smoke and stuff mm. like in the middle of the night and woke him up. And so I was just like on eggshells the whole time really. But it was, I was throwing up. Um, I couldn't eat. Um, like you get the sweats, like really like cold sweats. Um, it's pretty nasty, to be honest. Sounds it. It's like, if you think about like the worst flu you've ever had and then like times it by like 10, maybe more, but then the other thing is you just can't, like you can't sit still, you can't get comfortable. So you can't just, you can't just think, oh, I just like sleep it out or just like, you know, lie down and just like rest it out. You you can't get comfy. It's a very hard thing to to explain. But like for now, I could like lie on the floor for half an hour and just be super zen and super chill. You can't do that when you're when you're trying to come off of off of opiates. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. Know what that sound means? It's more sales being racked up on Shopify. What do you think of Shopify, Jen? I absolutely love Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to sell, grow, and make money for your business. Have you used it to boost your business? A hundred percent. Yeah. So Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell from anywhere in the world. From creating your online shop in your own look. To finding new customers to scaling your burning idea. With Spotify, you can do it all from one place. With no need for skills in design or coding. It's how every minute of every day, a new seller makes their first sale with Shopify and you can join them. So what is your favourite UK-based business that's found success with Shopify? It's got to be Gymshark. They have grown massively thanks to Shopify. Now it's your turn to start selling today with Shopify for free. And thanks to 24-7 support, Shopify is there to help you every step of the way. This is end 
limitless possibility. Powered by Spotify. Sign up for a free 14-day trial at shopify.co.uk slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Sean right now to grow your business today. So that's shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. Um, so it was it was pretty nasty. Um, I reckon it lasted a couple of weeks, but then, you know, going, getting let out, you know, on the wing and stuff, you know, when I was just like, you know, super weak, and I ne- I was very lucky and you know fortunate. I never you know I never got in any trouble. Um, I just kept myself to myself. Um, but yeah, I think you know I, I did feel very vulnerable. You know, coming off of the drugs. What sort of trouble did you see when you were there? In jail. Because uh, you said you weren't, you kept yourself out of trouble. Did you see yeah, much? Yeah, d- to start with, I definitely did. Um, there was some, I mean, there was quite a lot of craziness, like, as you know, like, um, throughout, um, just trying to think, like, I mean, in Glen, I was in Glen Parva for a bit, I mentioned before, that's a young offenders institute. So I, I actually went to about five prisons on on my on the on the whilst I was there. Um, went on a bit of a tour because I was on remand for quite a long time, so they kept moving me from like Pete uh, Bedford to like the Glen Parva in Leicester, and back to Bedford, and then I'd go to court, and then like back to Glen Parva, and then I'd have to go to court. So it was just one of those. Um, but Glen Parva was just like you know the the alarms were just going off nonstop, hundred percent of the time. Um, you know, I just saw quite a lot of people get stabbed, you know, with pencils and various different things. And it was just like fighting nonstop in there. But I was always protected. I always felt like I had like, I believe that God was protecting me. Mm. But I also, you know, when I sobered up, I started hitting the gym and started exercising. I channeled my addictions into something different. You know, I was training in my cell. I was Anytime I could get out, I was doing like pull-ups on the stairs. You know, I had the, um, you know, the pillowcases full of like, I'd get like six two litre bottles of water in a pillowcase, get two of them broomstick, you know, doing my <laughs> arms, shoulders. So I was just smashing it and just doing, just training nonstop. And I actually got, you know, pretty big. Um, and so that was how I, that was probably really how I got through you know, my time. Um, you know, later on, there was some madness in Winston Green. I'll tell you about that in a, in a bit when we get there, if you want, when we get <laughs> yes, to that please. part of my story. Um, but yeah, that, you know, the, the time I feel like coming off the drugs. It, so there was one aspect of it where my, you know, my mental health started to suffer. You know, I was diagnosed with PTSD and depression. Um, and they put me on medication, you know, and the doctor would say, Oh, you know, there's this medication, but it might make you drowsy. And I was like flipping it give me that do you know what I mean give me that right now like I need that um and so I was I probably I probably did need the medication but I was I was very quick to accept it do you know what I mean because I I all I'd known was being under the influence of something and that was my way of escaping and dealing with my pain and so when they offered me uh you know a drug which is what it, you know a drug which was going to do that I was very quick to accept um and so so there was that aspect, but then sobering up, I feel like I probably actually had the best quality of life I'd had for quite a long time <laughs> in jail. Does that make 
don't yeah. know if that would make any sense to to anyone, but yeah, like I wasn't constantly looking over my shoulder. I wasn't constantly hurting, you know, people around me. Um, you know, and and I had some purpose to the to, to my day. I had some routine. I mean, you'll 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 know the, you know, the prison prison routine. Um, I think it's actually very beneficial, you know, to have that because otherwise you just go stir crazy. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I feel like having that routine, you know, I, I felt like I had things more in order inside than than in outside. on the outside, definitely. Because you talk about God, did you find religion when you were doing your recovery or? Um, I've always, it's an interesting one. I've always called myself Christian. And so I actually, when I was growing up, I went to church and a church was another one of those places where I'd get told off all of the time for like playing football or for, I, I don't know, just have, having a, having a laugh is what I thought I was doing. And it was another one of those places where I'd be getting told off all the time. And so I'd start sort of running away. And I think one of the problems we might have, with like you know in that church space and young people is that i think if we if we end up if if people can't find something they relate to in church right the world the enemy there's an enemy in the world i believe there's an enemy and i think the enemy will do anything he can in his power to make sure that there's something in the world which is more attractive than in the church does that make sense and so the church would would have been a good place for me to be um, and so I read the Bible and I knew, you know, this, about the stories, um, and I knew about the miracles, but for me, it was like, it was like flesh with, it was like bones without flesh. It never really took on meaning. Um, so like I said, I'd always, call, always called myself a Christian, but the only time I'd pray would be like when I got nicked, or when I ended up in jail, or when I was in detention, or you Promise know, I, I won't do it again. God. Did, yeah, exactly. Or if <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to, exactly that. I didn't like if I didn't want my mum <laughs> to find out about something. I'd just, that was these were the only times that I talked to God, and a couple of times actually, like I got away with stuff, and I thought, oh, he's he's cool. Like this guy, God is like wicked. Like he's on my side, but he is on my side, but not in that way. But um, so that was the only time I'd like you know talk to talk to God. Um, and then, you know, I found my faith a little bit further on, like after I came out of prison. Um, so, so obviously like I did my sentence and then well, I did half, half of it. I did about 18 months. I was going to um, ask how long. Yes, yeah, so I did about 18 months. Yeah, yeah. I came out. Um, what was the craziness you saw in the one prison first? You oh, must... that was when I was on recall. Oh, on the oh, recall. Okay. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got released from Peterborough. Um, uh, Peterborough was like like a five star prison hotel. <laughs> yeah, they had like flat screen TVs nice. in the cells. What? Yeah, the food was amazing. <laughs> um, it was like we'd like it was just yeah it was like we, they did like they did like ping pong competitions and then you did like the prize would be like like, like loads of big packs of sweets and chocolate <laughs> for prizes. Um, you'd have like your, like a phone in the cell. Like it was just like I couldn't believe it to be honest. We <laughs> Did made, you have a phone? Well, no, but it, you actually, I, you actually had like a landline, like what? that you're allowed, like in the cell to phone all your friends, to phone all your people, and unlimited calls. <laughs> Not you had to pay for them, but you know, usually you have like three minutes a day or whatever mm. it is. Yeah, you landline in the in the. You still have to buy credits, but it's, it's it was quite new to me. Like I'd, 
It was like, it was a private Nick Sedexo. Oh, wow. So yeah, so that was crazy. Um, and I had shingles whilst I was there. I've got, can you see the scar up there on the top? Not really, but yeah. It's very yeah. faint. Yeah, very yeah. faint. Have you had shingles? No, what My is... My dad's got it right now. Has he? After he got the thingy but that we can't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's got the shingles, he's painful. Yeah, he's just gone to Spain, he can't go out in the sun. Yeah, I bet. What, what's it like having him? I just had like, my skin just started itching, like... Like I had a, like an, an urge to scratch it. Is it like bugs under your skin? But the, but are this mm, I don't know about bugs. <laughs> like little creatures? No no no. No. But no. I I just had this urge to scratch it, but there was nothing there. But it was in agony. It felt like it was on fire, but you couldn't see anything. And it was all my hairline, um, and then like some of my face as well. And so I told the I'd actually been down the block at this. I was in the block in Bedford. And I'd smashed up my, I'd smashed up the cell because I wanted to get from Bedford to Peterborough, right? So then they put me in the, they put me in the block in, in, in Peterborough when I got there, put me back on the wing. And as soon as I got back to the wing, I started getting this pain. And so I'd said to the officer, I said, listen, I'm in agony, like my face, like it's proper agony, but they just thought I was playing up because it had come to the end of a soch and they probably just thought, oh, he's just pissing about. He doesn't want to go in his cell. And so. I was saying to them, like, I'm actually in like so much pain. I need to see a nurse because I was in agony. And they were like, nah, mate, you're not seeing anyone tonight. You just get behind your door as they do. And I just said, well, I'm, I'm not going behind my door, mate. Like, I'm seeing a nurse and like, that's final. I'm not going behind my door. And so they obviously they, they give you a warning and then they put an alarm on and they all come in and they twist you up and then they sent me down the seg. Because once you get to the seg, they have to bring a doctor to see you, right? You get a doctor visit once a day and you'll get like a chaplain visit once a day. And so then the doctor had to come and see me and they didn't diagnose it straight away. And I had like a um, a visit the next day with my dad, like a, a visit. They let me see him. My dad was like, oh, maybe it's shingles. <laughs> So, my, so I went back to the doctor and I said, oh, my dad reckons it might be shingles. And he looked into it. And by this point, this, it had started, it was like oh. visible. It was like a, just a scab. Like it was an open wound. It was a very hard one to describe. Um, and then they, he said, yeah, no, you have got shingles. Um, and then they moved me from like the seg to the hospital wing and then put me on these drugs. Um, and yeah, but there was, there was one of the geezer, um, who was like feeding the, feeding us when we were in the hospital wing, found out he'd like raped a three year old. Oh. And so I think, obviously that's sick, like beyond sick, but I think knowing that he was out there, I wasn't allowed out and about, but knowing that he was out there just brought a lot of stuff back up for me. Um, so, and that was quite difficult. And they, I didn't have a TV. They gave me a radio because obviously I was on basic. Um, and I was just, I had this like open wound on my face, on my hairline. And I'm, a, and it was just like, honestly, it was so painful. It really was so painful. And even the weird thing is when I like, uh, push it now, you I can still feel like when I get my nail in it now, I can still feel the same sort of pain that I ha had all those years ago. Oh, wow. Weird one. What's a hospital wing like? It's just full of creeps, to be honest. And, and you know, people who are unwell, but, um, you know, that orderly guy, you know, what I heard, whether it be true or not, you know, it's sick. The hospital wing was just, just like another, another wing really, but with, with doctors. And creeps. <laughs> yeah, and creeps. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, but yeah, anyway, 
So now we got onto that. How did we get onto singles? <laughs> so this is towards the end of your first that, incarceration. Yeah, yeah Peterborough. Mm. So then you're getting released. Yeah. What's your plan? I don't have time, by the way. What's the, yeah, what's we're fine. Up? We're out of time. Bro. Yeah, yeah. Um, got dry lips. I've got dry lips as no. well. Do you, want, do you want a bit of this? No, no. no. I, I, <laughs> I usually do carry something, but anyway. Um, so that was Peterborough. Mm. I got out of out of Peterborough um, in, it, I think it was like three days after my birthday, mm. like 18th of August, um, 2015. Um, and I moved, I moved from uh, up to the top to the West Midlands, right? Um, to try and get a fresh start. My mum and dad picked me up from the prison, took me up, got me some food and stuff. And I think it was pretty depressing to be honest, coming out of jail. You have your hopes set on this date, right? And it's like, yeah, this date and it's going to be amazing and I'll get my life back. And, and then for me, you know, I got out and I had nothing, you know, I got given like 40 pound and, you know, I went, I went, I was put in a, a rehab center, like a rehab house, a rehabilitation house. Um, but it was, it was just depressing, you know, it kind of, that was really when the penny dropped that. I've got nothing going for me, you know? At least in jail, I had some purpose every day, you know, and I'd been wheeling and dealing and making like a little bit of, you know, I had like my nice pile of snacks and like shower gels and, you know, I had my TV and my routine and, and, and it felt, you know, to some degree comfortable. But when I got out, it was just like, I, I'm like so poor and I've got nothing. And, you know, it was just pretty depressing, to be honest, coming out. Wow. Yeah. So you said you were in a rehabilitation house. What yeah. was that like? They put me in the, the, I went into this rehabilitation house. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of, kind of crap because I was on this curfew. Yeah. I had to be like, it was like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., but it wasn't a probation curfew. It was just, uh, like part of the rules of being in that rehabilitation house. Like I thought it would be the safe, it was my choice to go in there. Like I thought it would be the safest option for me with my history with addiction, coming out and going in somewhere where actually there, you know, there would be some rules in place and I'd be able to be tested. And I just thought it would help me, uh, transition in, you know, in, in back into, um, you know, back into society. Um, but I just wanted to have sex. <laughs> I'd been in jail for so long mm -hmm. and I just couldn't, I just, I was struggling to, um, it was just one of those things where it was easier at night, you know, to, to meet people. And, and so I just ended up breaking the curfew. Um, and then, and then <laughs> to go have sex <laughs> and a couple of weeks, a couple, it was about two months, I think in, they, they caught me coming back one morning about, I came back about 5am to try and obviously get in before they came back to the house. And then they just, they basically just, you know, found me, uh, caught me coming back in and just kicked me out. It was like one strike policy. Oh. And so it was, that kind of sucked. So had, you, had you lost your girlfriend by this point then? Yeah, no, I was completely single, singular. Did you find the abuse mucked with your sex life? Yeah, I think for me, it just, I lost, like I said at the beginning, I lost my self-respect. You know, I didn't have any respect for me or my body. You know, so I think from that perspective, yeah, I, you know, I just, I felt like I was damaged goods, you know, so I, you know, I just think, yeah, I wasn't too, it, you know, to sex didn't bother me or anything like that. It was just, I feel like I'd lost respect for myself already. So I don't know. I don't know if I've never really tried to kind of verbalize any of that, but 
don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's what happens when someone abuses you, you know, they abuse your body. Um, yeah. And what, your mind. What was the next temptation then? <coughs> um, I'm going to grab some, some water. Of course. Um, the next temptation. Oh, when I got kicked out of the rehab, I just got, I just started drinking again. And, um, I think I took some speed. I think some speed was like the first drug I took. Some Where were you living? Proper random. I, I moved out. in with this a girl that I'd, that I'd met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the one you got kicked out for? Yeah, basically. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how'd you met her? Telling my story better than me. What? How'd you met her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I, it was just met her like at a pub, you know. On the pole. <laughs> yeah. I used to have a little bit of game. I'm, cel- <laughs> <laughs> I'm celibate now. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah. And so I, well, I had to, I had to find somewhere to live because after I got kicked out of the probation, uh, re- the rehabilitation place, my probation officer said, like, you've got 24 hours to find yourself an address. And if you haven't got, like, a fixed abode, they have to send you back to jail. It's really nice that that girl to let you move in. It was really nice of her, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah. It turned out she had, like, quite a lot of debt with someone. And then I had this, like, nice stone. I had this nice stone island jacket. It was, like, one of the, it was, like, the only nice thing I owned. <laughs> and a nice pair of shoes. They were, like, the only two, my two nicest belongings. And it was like yellow. It was bright yellow. It was a nice jacket. I probably got a picture somewhere. And I had this silver, this fake, big fake silver chain. <laughs> I don't know who I thought I was. Mr. T. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. And, um, but it turned out she owed some boys some quite a lot of money, um, for whatever reason. Drug debt. I, I, I think it, I think it must have been, but it was, it was all a bit hazy. <clears throat> and they basically they'd seen me walking around with this jacket on. I mean, it was like a five hundred pound jacket, but like what? I, <clears throat> they came and basically started shooting through the top of the door. What? Yeah, and they, they were like fourteen, fifteen year old kids. Yeah, <clears throat> and there was just like a gang of them, and they came shoot shoot through the door. They actually kicked the door down. They came in and they robbed me of my jacket Aww. and my um. And my fake silver chain, which I thought was quite funny, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was gutted. So that was that was a bit crazy because they were like they were they were just like kids. Wow, <clears throat> machetes, and I don't know if the guns were real guns. I feel like they might have been, you know, the Replicas. the air guns, you know, the two twos. Mm. They look very real and they sound real, and they would would probably hurt big time if you got shot in the head. But <clears throat> so that happened. Um, and then from there, uh, I went into a probation hostel, um, which was like the least inspiring and most depressing place I've ever been in my life. How so? I was just, I was surrounded by people that I like, I was just surrounded. There was a lot of homeless people in there, a lot of people that were just, just like really addicted to drugs and had been for a long time. You know, it was just, it was just a, uh, there was just no hope in there, to be honest. Yeah, there was just no hope. Um, yeah, it was just, it was pretty, pretty dire, to be honest. And, and I, I kind of got back on drugs and stuff, nothing hard. Um, and I started using, I started kind of like wheeling and dealing a little bit, you know, nothing, nothing like, like I was before, just to, just to kind of make a little bit, you know, um, 
and then one lad basically just owed me some money and I found out that he owed a load of other people money and so I just I threatened him um and like because I wanted to make sure I got my money because I knew how much money he was getting and it wasn't enough to pay everyone and then basically the next morning he he just snitched on on me and the other people that he owed money and they just kicked us out of the probation hostel and then um so this was all a bit of a madness because like I'd really I was desperate to try and sort my life out and I think this is just something that just shows how strong the addiction is you know um and how how hopeless my situation was um and so around this same time <clears throat> I think it was just before I got kicked out actually I found this I found a church which had just been uh which had just been planted it was a new church and uh yeah like I went in there my dad had told me about it and he said oh it's this new church like why don't you try it it was around the corner from the hostel and uh, I went in and and there was just an amazing energy in there and I must have looked like a right idiot I had like my trousers halfway down my ass like my hat on backwards I probably had some sort of fake chain on um and they just, they, I told them I'd just come out of jail and they just loved me. They just, they just, genuinely, they just loved me and they uh, encouraged me and they wanted to support me, you know. And for, and for, I think for the first time, not for the first time ever, but for the first time of my own accord, I was surrounded by people who were championing me and lifting me up rather than tearing me down. <laughs> And that's when I feel like I started to get inspired. Um, and that was ultimately probably my first encounter with like the Holy Spirit, like, because there was that energy in there. There was something in there that was like drawing me back. Um, and so, you know, I, I started going there like on a kind of like a weekly basis. Um, but you know, my life was, was still going downhill. You know, there was something about it that I liked, but I was still using and I was still, you know, drinking and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and eventually I got bait recalled back to jail. <clears throat> I failed a jog test. Ah. Uh. Yeah. I failed a jog test and, uh, I went, I had the jog test and then I went back to probation a week later and I, I went in and she was like, Oh, um, I'm James, I'm, you failed your jog test and you're wanted for recall to prison. And I was like, oh, right. And I was like, see you later then. <laughs> just like darted out, just went on the run, went to Sainsbury's, dyed my hair blonde as you, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and that was it. I just thought, I'm going on the run. I don't want to go back to jail. Like, and, um, I think it lasted about three days to be honest. And then my conscience kicked in. Yeah. My mum called, uh, called me and just, you know, just said to me, you know, you can't be on the run, you know, run, run forever. And, um, Where were I, you hiding out? Um, I was hiding out in another um, girl's a girl's house. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, and so it was only a few days, and then I went and handed myself in. I kind of got parcel dark prepared, um, and it was really funny, you know. It was like I went to this police station, and I said I went there, and I said, "Look, I'm wanted for recall to prison." And the lady was like, oh, well, I'm sorry, sir, but there's no, like, police cells here. <laughs> and there's no policemen here either. And I was like, oh, right, okay. On your way. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm just thinking, what is going on? Like, I've, 
I've come here to hand myself in. <laughs> I just presume she'd like press a button and they'd all like, you know, run out or whatever. And she's like, yeah, you're just going to have to sit down there for like a bit and I'll try and get someone to come and pick you up. So I was just like waiting for about two hours, going like in and out, in and out for like smokes. Just the whole time thinking, do I, do I stay? Do I go? <laughs> like knowing that I'm going back to jail, I don't know how long for. <laughs> um, but I think sometimes, I think often in, in, in life, you know, the, the best decisions are the hardest decisions. You know, the, the hardest decisions are the right decisions. Does that make sense? Mm. And it was one of those where it was the right decision to, to have myself in, but it was also the hardest decision in the moment. Cause um, being as how well you came off the drugs in the first sentence, did mm. you not get tempted to think, actually, this will sort my life out? Say that again. Going back to jail would sort your life out to stop you using did again. i think that no i didn't think that no no no, no but it did you it did though it definitely yeah, yeah. did you know i think getting recalled then was definitely a lifesaver mm. you know um and so yeah i got recalled and they gave me like a release date it was about it would have been about three months and i mentioned to you before i was in there with there, there were quite a few people on recall there was one guy um who'd he, he, I think his original sentence was like burglary or something. And then he'd gone into like, he'd gone into a house on, whilst he was out on license and like stolen someone's phone. But I think it was like a friend's house or something. So I wasn't 100% sure about the specifics, but he got recalled for that, basically stealing a phone and he got a 28 day recall. So he was, he was only recalled for 28 days, but yet me for failing a drug test, it was three months. I hadn't even committed any crime. You know, so that it's just like that doesn't I, seem fair. Well, exactly. No one ever said the system was fair, right? Mm. So that happened. They gave me this release day. The um, I, I, the day came, and I'd had my hopes pinned on this day, as you do. Mm. I told my family that I was getting out. I had my bags packed. I'd given a load of stuff away to all my friends, and then the next morning. I heard the screws opening doors. So I was up and about lively. I'm like, yeah, I'm going, I'm getting out. And then they just never opened my door. I was like, okay. So I put, the, I put my, my buzzer on and the screw came to my door and I said, yo, Gav, I'm going to get out today. Like I've got the let, I've got the letter here, like my release date. And he was like looking at his list and he said, you know, you're not going anywhere today. Um, he said, you're not on my list. You're not going anywhere. And I was just like, depleted you know like yeah. I couldn't believe it um, and then I got out and I managed to ring my probation officer and the same one that recalled me and I just said look what's going on look, you told me I was going to get released today and she said look I'm sorry James but um, the home office have refused your release at the last minute <gasps> can they do that I, you tell me I don't <laughs> I don't know. How bizarre. I know. She said, they've refused it at the last minute. She said, you're not going to be going anywhere today. She said, look, I'm going to come up and see you in a couple of weeks and we'll try and sort it out. And I just said, look, I, I just said, look, screw you, screw the home office in like not so polite words. Mm. I said, I don't need any of you and just like hung the phone up. Um, and then like, what's funny is like fast forwarding just quickly I actually rang that same probation officer a couple of years ago. I've had no, I've had no need to contact her for quite a few years, but I rang her and I just felt like a, a need to apologize to her. <laughs> <laughs> I am, 
I feel so blessed to have been through everything that I've been through and all the experiences that I've had. I feel so blessed to have had them because it's made me who I am today and it's made me someone that I'm proud of and it's given me the ability to affect change in other people's lives. So I rang her and I explained to her how my life had been transformed and I just thanked her for sending me back to jail. I just said, look, I just wanted to thank you because it was the best thing that had ever happened to me. And what did she say? <laughs> she was just speechless. She didn't, ha- she didn't know what to say. Oh. She was like, and she then eventually she said, look, James, she said, I don't know what to say. No one's ever thanked me for sending them back to jail. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, so that happened. And then even more crazy than that, like at the end of last year, I actually went and spoke at the home office. Like I went and, and I spoke to them and I, wow. and I, t- and I taught them about forgiveness and the power of second chances. And I shared that exact same story with them, <laughs> you know, where they refused my release. And, and I told them, I don't hold it against you. I said, you know, it's actually it, it, in the moment I was pissed and I was angry, but looking back, it was probably the best thing that ever happened. So I said, thank you. You know, <laughs> wow. So that's, it's just crazy how things turn around, you know, and it was, you know, God, God works in mysterious ways, but so that was it on the recall. And then obviously, well, going back, uh, where were you recalled to? Where were you housed? I was, I was it was Winston Green. This is where the madness was. Yeah. Yeah, so they had some madness. Wow. Did you hear about the riots? You must have heard about the Winston Green riots. What year was it? 26, uh, six, uh, 2016. Probably End of 2016. Probably time, yeah. Like, they were the biggest prison riots since Strangeways. Wow. In the 80s. In the wow. UK. Yeah. So it was crazy. But it happened I, while you were there? Yeah, it happened whilst I was there. Did you participate in the riot? I can't. I, I, the thing is, <laughs> what, I, what I won't say is that I participated. I, I can't say, you know, too much about what happened. I was out of my cell. You observed what was happening. Mm. Yeah, observed. There was just, <laughs> there was, there was quite a lot of, you know, craziness that, that went down. Um, and I, I was actually, um, called after I got out of jail, cause they happened about two weeks before the end, right at the end of my license. So after the, after the rights, they moved me to, um, Oakwood. And then when I got out, a few months later, the police got in contact with my, with my dad somehow. My dad rang me and he said, the police are looking for you. Like they're, you're not like wanted, but they want to talk to you. And I was like, all right. Okay. So I got, he gave me my number and they rang me and they just said, look, we want to, we need to interview you. Like either you come in and like we interview you or you, or we just come and arrest you. And so I went in and my, my solicitor came up from um, Hoddesdon and, um, I just went no comment the whole way through because, but they wanted to interview me about the, the riots. What crazy stuff happened in these riots? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, one guy got like paralyzed from the waist, from the waist down. He, he got like, st- stabbed like hundreds like hundreds of times he i think he'd like pulled a gun out on someone on road and that there were two right so essentially from my understanding a parcel came over right into the yard the screws got the parcel and then started like flaunting it saying ah we got your parcel da 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 and the the guys the guys weren't too happy about this right and so they, um, some, someone, um, a couple of the, the boys stole the screws keys and they got him and, and took his keys and then went and just unlocked everyone on their wing. And then by this point, because there's so many people out, the guards are on, on outnumbered, they had to retreat, but the keys weren't just for that one wing. 
it was for the rest of the jail as well. You understand? So they actually got off of their wing. They got into like the office, the meds hatch, like every, just every, they, they had like all access, like <laughs> access all areas, <laughs> VIP. And uh, they got off of their wing, but the problem was that they had the two, so they had, they had two L-shaped wings mm. and they had one gang on here and one gang on there. I'm not going to go into specifics about like who, you know, who the gangs were, but they were two big rival gangs, the biggest in the area. And so the thing is, they, they had the keys to all of that area. So when they went, they went off their wing, opened the next wing, and then they went onto the other side and started opening those doors as well. And so these two gangs had always been, um, separated. They never, they wouldn't, they'd never crossed paths. And all of a sudden, you know, some of these, you know, a lot of these guys are like doing life because of each other, you know, they're lifers and like they were all suddenly, you know, mixed. <clears throat> Wow. <coughs> so it was so there was just quite a lot of craziness. Um I mean the everything got set on fire. Like the pool tables, like just everything. Chaos. Mm. The meds hatch, like well, know, the meds pe got nicked. people had access to the meds hatch. <laughs> yeah. There was like a safe full of like stolen phones and like um just like, you know, things that have been um take like what's the word? You know, things that the screws have taken off. Confiscated. Confiscated, yeah. <coughs> Sorry, I think something went down the wrong hole. <laughs> what about sex offenders? Did they get access to them? Yeah, so what happened is, um, obviously, I, <clears throat> there were some people that that was their intent, that was what they wanted to do. And the screws actually got, when they they managed to get a padlock and padlock this one, these, these gates that were in between the two wings so that, so that no one could get through essentially mm. uh, obviously they didn't have the key to that padlock um so it was just crazy but i, I remember the one guy um an old a, a lifer called keith a really good guy actually when i when i got when i found out that i wasn't getting out i started like losing it <clears throat> and i really lost it with one of the officers and Keith, this geezer, this life, a big dude came, put his arm around me and just like walked off of me, not aggressively, but like firmly took me to his cell, <clears throat> sat me down. And he just said, look, James, he said, I've been in here 33 years. He said, he said, listen, son, I go up for parole every single year and get turned down. He's like, how long you got left of your license? And I was like, like six months, <laughs> you know. And he's like, and he so he shared with me his his you know his reality and helped me to see it from a different perspective, you know. And I thought he calmed me down. He didn't have to do that. Mm. He did not have to do that. He had a good heart, you know. He might have made some mistakes, but you know, you know, he he, he he's he's changed 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 man, you know. And he he was looking out for me and. During the riot, there, like I said, everything was on fire in the middle of this, in the middle of one of the wings. Um, and he, when some of the people, when they'd got unlocked, had decided to bang themselves back up again, right? He was one of those people. And so he, there was smoke going up and in through his cell. And so I was running down and he was just banging on his door, bang, 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 saying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. So I've bust his flap and he's just there like begging me, saying, 
please find those keys, get me out, get me out, I'm dying. Like, I might get, I, so I've done 33 years, I can't die in here. And he, I saw, like, sheer terror in his eyes. Like, he did not want to die in there, obviously. And, um, like, we managed to, like, stop the smoke going in, um, but we couldn't get the keys. But he was fine, he didn't die. Okay, good. In the end. But it was just things like that. Which, <gasps> so, how long did this, uh, did the riots go on for? Uh, not long enough. <laughs> um, no, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't funny. Um, they went on probably like twelve hours. I'd say that's long enough. Yeah, it it went so quickly, and then in the end, uh, uh, probably longer than actually. But in the end, the um, the the tornado squad came, and they had like the flashbangs, mm. and they like threw f- like flashbangs onto the wing. And I was just like banging up, mate. <laughs> banged up straight away. <laughs> I'm not getting involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was just there's just a lot of craziness. And then we spent about three days in our cells, um, and we were just watching it all on the news, like what that was happening. There's like helicopters going over, and were you just... scared during the riots? No, it was adrenaline, wasn't it? It's was <laughs> crazy. Um, nah, it was it was. Yeah, crazy. Obviously, I didn't get involved, but I just, you know, it was just, yeah, it was, yeah, just a lot of adrenaline. So, and then three days just banged up in the cell. Um, and eventually, uh, they, like I say, they moved me to Oakwood. Um, I had about two weeks left of my license and then I got out. Mm. And then, yeah, so that was right at the end of 2016. So 2017, um, what's the time by the way? How long was um, it? Half past three. Okay, half three. So those two gangs then, did they cause a lot of damage to each other? When yeah, I think so. I think, I think there was, yeah. yeah. Was there <clears> any deaths? Any deaths, yeah. <clears throat> no, just that guy that was paralysed from the waist down. What did they do to him to paralyse him? him? Oh, stabbed oh, they him just stabbed him and slashed him hundreds of times, yeah. Yeah. Over, yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm. So what year did you get out? So that was, uh, I got out 30, 31st of December, 2016. So I, f- I was thinking like, oh, like I've got such an amazing opportunity now. Like it's the end of the year, like 2017 is a fresh start. You know, I'm going to, I was, I was completely sober by this point. I've been smashing the gym yeah. in the, in the, in the jail. And I was actually, f- I was feeling pretty good to be honest, like mentally. Um, I was still on a lot of medication and that was probably, you know, helping, but I, I, I was in a fairly good place, to be honest, you know, mentally. Um, and then I came out and, um, yeah, I relapsed pretty quickly. Oh no. Yeah, I relapsed pretty oh. quickly within like a month. Did you go in a halfway house when you came out again? No, they put me in a, a two bedroom council house, just all on my own. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I relapsed pretty quick and, uh, and yeah, it kind of got, got, just got bad from there. Like I started going back to church, you know, which that was one of the things that I really missed, you know, seeing those people. Um, but I, um, I found myself in a, in a state of sort of depression and, uh, addiction where I was, I was sleeping like upwards of 18 hours a day, every single day. Um, and what I was doing was I was overdosing on my prescribed medication to try and keep, like, to tranquilize myself, essentially, because I found myself in a place where being awake was just too painful, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mental health is serious, you know. 
um, mental ill health, you know, the amount of people that are, are struggling at the moment, you know, and I felt very lonely, you know, but it's important, I think, for people to know that they're not alone. Um, you know, I think ultimately we, we, we suffer alone, but we recover together. Um, but I was in that place and honestly, this was probably almost like one of the, probably rock bottom for me. Mm. Um, I, I just didn't have any, any hope and, you know, I didn't really want to be alive anymore. And that was why I just, the only thing that kept me alive was my family, you know, and the fact that they loved me and they kept telling me that they loved me. I think it's very important that we don't just presume people know that they're unconditionally loved, but we actually tell, tell them. You know, because that's what kept me alive, just knowing that my family loved me and not wanting to, not wanting to hurt them. <clears throat> and so, so that was why I just, I slept because, you know, that was, that was, uh, the least painful for me. I didn't have to experience the pain of being awake. And I was like, I wasn't washing. I was, I wasn't washing my clothes. I, you know, I was going to the toilet in a bucket in this room. Um, you know, it was like, I wasn't drinking at one point. Is that from prison? No, this was out. This is when I got out. No, no, but going to the toilet in a bucket, is that from your prison experience? Is that your prison experience? It used to be. It's kind of because you slept in a room with a toilet. It might actually be. Yeah. There is, I have got like a genuine thing where I I, I go to the toilet like every hour now, or maybe more sometimes. And I spoke to the doctor about it and I do drink a stupid amount of water, like ridiculous amounts. But he said, well, the fact that you were, living in a toilet for like you know a couple of years of your life you, you've been programmed your mind's been programmed to think anytime you need the toilet it's only 10 feet away mm. and so he said that might be, he said so basically he said i need to retrain my bladder interesting <laughs> yeah, he, said he, he made it sound so easy i was just like yeah like how, how am i going to do that but so how do a, you retrain your bladder yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> he did go into it with me so but he, he said said so basically he said you have to just um you just have to go if you need the toilet yeah you, you just have to hold it out just wait it out what basically. like 20 minutes or something longer I think. <laughs> yeah so how did you snap out of it then and get into the school's talks yeah so it was like i said i'd been going to this church and i went one one week and i i decided actually i need to i, I decided to give my life to jesus i realized that I realized that I was just lost and broken, you know, and this is evident, but I've, I really realized in that moment that I needed a savior. And so I gave my life to Jesus. And actually in that moment, I felt like my shame and all of that guilt that I'd been holding on to just vanished. Wow. And all that condemnation. And that's ultimately what, you know, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, you know, he took our sin, he took our sin on him, you know, and, and that's why, you know, I, in those moments, in that moment, I realized that I've been forgiven. I truly knew that I've been forgiven of my sins. And so in that moment, I also around the same time realized that my life had gone steadily downhill after the abuse. So if that's the abuse, my life had gone dramatically downhill since then. And I'd been living below the line of power. I'd been blaming, you know, what had happened. I'd been, you know, making excuses for where my life was at based on what had happened in the past. And 
you know, I, I ultimately was holding on to a lot of hatred and a lot of resentment and, and, and anger towards, towards my abuser. And, uh, I realized he had a lot of power over my life, you know? And so I knew that I had to move on. I knew that I had to forgive him if I was ever going to get anywhere in life. Um, you know, cause ultimately the unforgiveness journey looks like this. Someone hurts you, right? You hold it against them. It doesn't affect them in the slightest, but it kills you inside. <laughs> that's literally like the unforgiveness journey and so you know it wasn't affecting him but I was spending all day every day thinking about how am I going to get him back what am I going to do to him how am I going to find him and thinking about how much I hate him and how much he destroyed my life and blah 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 but that's that's not getting me anywhere that's not helping me get move forward in life is it and progress and so I forgave him and you know, people always ask me, I, I got asked this literally today at the school, like, how, how did you forgive him? Like, after what he did, did to you? And I, I think, I think the simple answer is that I didn't in my, in my own strength, you know, I, it was in, in, in God's strength that I was able to forgive him. Um, and when I, when I forgave him, I said a prayer. Um, and, and honestly, I don't hold on to any bitterness towards him at all or anger anymore wow. wow you know it's the it, it it's there's still aspects of it that when i talk about it you know it can be it can be kind of you know a little bit painful you know emotional but i don't hold it against him anymore you know That's and that you freed yourself yeah completely freed myself and i pray for him you know like what he did and what he did and you know what any pedos do is com is sick like completely sick but for me holding on to hatred on you know to him it was just destroying me you know and so it's not saying that what he did was right of course it's not um but it's just he just had so much power over my life still um you know and i love you know nelson mandela says about like unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it's going to kill your enemies you know it's like it's so true and and from there honestly i managed to find a lot of freedom emotional freedom um and at the same time i gave up the drink and the drugs <laughs> and i went on this journey and 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 honestly pressed into jesus and you know through his power i was able to get free um and you know i'm now like half a decade sober nearly congrats yeah like yeah. and i say half a decade because it sounds better than five years right? <laughs> <laughs> but Definitely. I'm, I'm five years sober in july well done mm. you and Brilliant. thanks I said this at school earlier I didn't get a clap and I was like doesn't that deserve a clap like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is a, it's a big achievement because I never thought that I'd be able to get free you know do you have so much more clarity now that you are sober man like my life's been transformed like honestly say like you know that I really do believe that your worst day in sobriety is always going to be better than your best day in addiction like my family have the same you know i i can be the same person to my family every single day you know when when my loved ones look in my eyes they can be at peace you know because ultimately addiction is it's not just a james thing it's a james and everyone that james knows and loves everyone that loves james thing it affects everyone in the family um and so, yeah, when they look at me in the eyes, they get the same James, you know, every single day. And it's that cons consistency and that continuity. And, you know, I was able to, you know, channel, you know, I'm addicted to Jesus now. Like, <laughs> honestly, like, 
I, you know, I, ev- anywhere and everywhere I go, I, I tell people what he's done for my life because some, a lot of people will, won't, won't believe in Jesus and that, and that's their prerogative. But what you can't deny is what he's done in my life and how he's transformed my life. Of course. And so. You are absolutely glowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like going to school for the first time? Back in, uh, amazing, man. It was. Were you nervous? Honestly, such, mm, I don't think so. I, I mean, moderate, like moderate nerves, but nothing like major. Um, and did it resonate the talk right away? Did they react? Yeah, they do, you know. It's, I, you know, it's a big responsibility, I think, you know, and it's a responsibility that I don't take lightly. Um, you know, it's, it's, but it's such a privilege, you know, being able to talk to them, as you'll know. Um, but they do, they, I think, yeah, as soon as you start, as soon as I start talking about like prison or whatever, you've got their attention, mm-hmm. you know, so I usually, you know, I can't remember exactly what I said earlier, but you know, something along the lines of like, you know, not necessarily planning like outcomes too much and being in prison six years ago and not really realizing that in six years time I'd be set, stood in front of you or something along those lines. And then immediately that like, you've got their attention. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's it's amazing, you know. Like I had a kid come up to me earlier, and he just you know was shaking my hand, and he said, "You no idea how helpful this was." He oh, said, "Thank you, James. Thank sweet. you, James." And I'm like, "This like <laughs> this, this is what we do it for, right?" Like I just think it's beautiful that you know God's using my darkness from yesterday to make other people's tomorrow brighter. You know, I'm just like that's amazing to me. You how know? how can schools reach out to you then to get you to do a talk? Uh, through LinkedIn, maybe, um, contact me on LinkedIn or e- they could email me, uh, james at belive.org.uk. So we'll so, put all the links in yeah. the, below this video. So if yeah. people want to reach out to you to book you for talks. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. So, and are you on the socials? I'm on socials a bit. Yeah. You can, uh, you can plug them underneath as well. Definitely like follow the charity where that my charity stuff, mm-hmm. um, be live. Um, and then my clothing brand Everse as well. Oh, really? So, yeah, like, get that one quiet. Yeah. I know. <laughs> usually, like, I feel like, like I said, usually when <sighs> I talk, we touch a little bit on the past, and then, like, most of it will be like on like present and future and mm. like, like ambitions and hopes, but it's all cool. Like, I think it's really important for people to understand their, um, that there's a story behind, you know, every person. What, and this what is are the you work. On? Sorry, carry on. I was just, I actually went and spoke at the police force, the same, the same police force that, um, they, they weren't the ones that put me in jail, but one of the places I used to commit crime, and it was Cambridgeshire Constabulary. They, wow. and I went back, they invited me to speak to them and I got paid, like, <laughs> I actually got paid to go and deliver a talk to the police. <laughs> and it was like, honestly, the most surreal experience. <laughs> and it was on Zoom, it was on Zoom, which was a shame, but when oh. I got on, mate, um, you know, like how you click and then it like lets you into the room and I could just see like Roku, soccer, like, and I, and my heart started, this is like, this is so nervous. My heart started beating out of my chest <laughs> and I suddenly thought I was being stitched up. I suddenly thought, oh, they want to get me on, in here to talk. So hopefully I reveal something and then they're going to like nick me. I was so scared. But then I just thought I need to crack, I need to break the ice. I've got to break it. So I said to them, um, 
I, I said, I said, listen, this is quite emotional for me. I said, I said, I spent my teens getting chased by you guys. I said, you were never any good on foot. I said, it's, <laughs> I said, you was never very fast on foot. You could never catch me. But as soon as you got that chopper out, it was game over. Mm. And I just sort of cracked, you know, broke the ice. <laughs> um, but honestly, that was a crazy experience talking to the, to the police. So what are your goals? What are my goals? Mm. I guess the main thing is to, um, help. I want, I want people. I, I hate the idea of people being hopeless. You know, I hate, I, I hate the fact that on average, 19 people a, a day lose their life to suicide mm. in this country. You know, I think that's not, it's not, it's definitely not something that's spoken about enough. You know, in the fact that at least, um, you know, one in four people are battling with their mental health right now in this country and it's still so stigmatized. And I hate the fact that some people feel like the only option is death, you know, to mm. take their life, you know, and that, that makes me quite emotional. It makes me sad. And so I really, you know, through my, through my work and, 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 you know, I've got lots of goals, but I feel like that's got to be the main one. Like, I don't want people to die. I don't want people to, to, to feel like suicide is the only option. I don't want people to feel like they're alone. You know, I had an amazing encounter with someone um, who had come across my work on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is the main the main social media platform I use and you know he'd said that before he 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 was suicidal he was at the end you know this is a, a businessman um you know and he said he, he he came across my post after he'd written his suicide letters and he saw my post and realized in in that moment that he wasn't alone Wow. He realized there were other people going through similar things and it gave him hope. And he started like following me, he started looking back at some of my other posts and he'd been thanking me for a couple of years, like sending me long messages, like just thanking me profusely. And I was like, I'm thinking like, why is this guy thanking me? And then what I met him a couple of weeks ago, it was, and he just said, he just said, with, if it wasn't for your life, James, I would be dead. Wow. And, and at the end, he said, he said, he said, if it wasn't for you, my children wouldn't have a father. And I, and it was so emotional and it was so surreal, but it just gave me that motivation that I needed to, to, to keep going, to keep doing what I do. Um, you know, so I think ultimately that's my goal to be a vessel of hope, mm. you know, whatever situation people find them in there, there is hope. And, you know, my hope's found in Jesus. And yeah, that's what I believe. You so, are a true inspiration, yeah. definitely, definitely so powerful, man. Honestly, yeah. yeah, your energy, everything, the light in your eyes, yeah, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. I send you a picture of me um, in 2016, and you can post it on. We'll put it in the trailer. Put it, yeah, put it right do. now. Put it in the trailer. Because yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you in a minute. But yeah, there, yeah. there was yeah. just a lot of hatred and anger in my eyes. You know, right? Like, yeah. So, wow. if you've been enjoying this as much as we have, please let us know in the comments. All of James's links are in the description box below this video if you're watching it on YouTube. If you want to book him for a school's talk, go down there. If you want to follow him on the socials or connect with him on LinkedIn, it's all down there. So, we're looking forward to your feedback and all of Jen's stuff is down there as well. So, yeah, man, brilliant. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank Let's you. Give us a hug. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really talking down because I've got uh, some shoes on. This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We are proud to announce the publication of Britain's number one art forger, Max Brandert, The Life of a Cheeky Faker.
And from the back cover blurb, Max the Forger is an artist and gentleman whose colourful lifestyle has spanned over 70 years. He has lived under the strict regime of Bernardo's children's homes, been an elephant handler in the circus, lived rough, busked his way from Brighton to Bombay, sold his fakes up and down the country, dined with dukes, socialised with celebrities, associated with gangsters, served time in prison, and donated tens of thousands to charity. And through it all, he has never stopped smiling and loving life and missing his mum. Quote from the book. Mr. Brandreth, I do not see you as a malicious criminal, sighed the judge. But why, oh why, do you continue to use your God-given talent in this way? I just can't help myself, Your Honor. It's like an addiction, I grinned. Available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Gen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textiles Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk.